You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and we are, of course, well into spring training now, and pretty soon we've got some spring training exhibitions coming up, and uh, we even have a little bit of news related to that. Uh, today's guest joining me is Matt Modica from CTM Baseball, and uh, he's uh, got a great site, also, uh, well, CTM Baseball. That's also his Twitter account, by the way, at CTM Baseball. And you should definitely check it out. Great resource for uh, starting pitching. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Al. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on. And uh, thank you. Hope uh, hope you're having a good day so far. Um, let's uh, get into the news and start with something that's not all that fantasy relevant, but I'm sure it's something uh, everybody who loves baseball is talking about today, uh, the decision uh, coming from the commissioner that there are going to be no more pitches made on intentional walks. They're now going to be signaled from the dugout, uh, from the manager, and in, in an effort to speed up the games a bit. And uh, generally, the, the reaction to this has not been too positive. I think I would certainly count myself among those that, that are not in favor of the decision, but does, does this bother you at all? I am not in favor of it as well. And it's not really going to speed up the game. It, the intentional walks is not something that's occurring at, at a rapid pace. It's a situational thing. I'd rather they just leave it alone. Baseball seems like they just can't. They just keep stepping on themselves, in my opinion. <laughs> well, to me, it just it feels like a symbolic move, because I agree with you. It's not going to, I think, appreciably speed up the game and not in a way that I think the viewer, maybe the casual viewer, but I, I just even doubt that. I, I just don't think it's going to speed up the game in a way that's going to be all that noticeable. And, uh, yeah, I, I, on the other hand, of all the changes that could be made, you know, for example, a pitch clock, I think that's something that's going to be uh, out there maybe for 2018. And that would be a, a much more intrusive sort of move. And so if, if there's going to be something done, I mean, you know, look, it's not going to really minimize my uh, my enjoyment of the game all that much. But why? But why do it? That's that's really my feeling about it. I'm I'm the same here exactly. Uh, I'm totally fine with the way baseball is right now. I enjoy watching the game. Maybe it's because I'm a diehard, but I'm totally <laughs> fine with the way things run currently. Well, you know, speaking of, uh, you, you know, you say you're a diehard for the game. That really shows on your site, uh, CTM Baseball. And I'm really curious about the origins of it because it's really, it's a neat resource because you can go there and you can find a little sort of an abstract for every starting pitcher, what their, their arsenal is, what, uh, if there are relevant splits, you, you put the splits there, a little bit of analysis. Um, it, it's a really cool resource. So how did you start it? One of the things I learned with fantasy baseball, at least for me, that <clears throat> excuse me, that seemed to work was hitting on pitching and having a strong rotation. So I wanted to try and break in in somehow, some way, and I went with the pitching niche, uh, just going off of success that I had had, 
And I just find it fascinating breaking down the numbers, say home splits, you know, strikeouts to walk. I love the first pitch strike percentage, swing and strike percentage, all that good stuff. Yeah, well, it's all there. It's all there. So if you like all those uh, those indicators and you want to find them just in, in one place in a very neat package, uh, it's a good place to go. So uh, I'm uh, glad that you've provided that for us. Uh, really helpful stuff, Matt. Let's uh, go ahead and take a look at a, a, just a couple of really fantasy-relevant news items, uh, the most prominent one being Matt Wieters finally off the free agent market. He was the biggest name still out there. And to me, a bit of a surprise signing. Uh, it had been kind of uh, forecasted for a day or two, but uh, Matt Weider signed with the Nationals, who had already acquired Derek Norris this offseason. So obviously there's at least two things to look at here. What is Weider's value with the Nationals and now what, what happens to Derek Norris's value? So uh, what's your thinking on, on these two catchers? Well, firstly... I was preferring that Matt Wieters would sign with Tampa Bay, which had been mentioned like two days ago, just for the fact that he's familiar with the uh, landscape in the American League East and the pitchers there. And also he wouldn't have to learn a new league. He's going to have to learn a new rotation regardless. As far as Derek Norris, he seems like a player to me that's going to get moved. He was more of a guy who was betting on a bounce back. You know, he has the PS power upside, batting average drain. Weeders is definitely, in my opinion, the higher guy of the two. And I wish the Mets would have actually uh, signed Weeders. Well, that's an interesting idea there. Um, why were you hoping for that to happen? And I, and I asked that with a little bit of an agenda because I've been something of a Travis Darno booster for the last couple of years, even after last year's uh, really disappointing season. Uh, is that to you, is that just a, a statement about Darno not really being salvageable or, uh, or, or something else? I do believe the possibilities with Travis Darno still exist. Maybe it's my fandom and watching too many Met games, but watching the weak grounders or the pop-ups, and the pop-ups especially just got infuriated. I understand he's been hurt. Could he bounce back? Yes. My thinking with Matt Weeders was if they put Weeders into the fold, it just deepened the uh, batting order for them. And this is a team that needs to win kind of now. They're not the youngest uh, group. The pitchers are not the healthiest guys. So that was my overall, and being the fact that he's a switch hitter as well. Now, in your one-catcher leagues, uh is Weeder somebody you're targeting? You probably could get him pretty late, but is he even worth the trouble as, a, say, a top 12 catcher? He's borderline to me as a top 12 in a one-catcher in a, in a one league. But in, in, in the one-catcher league, I'd be fine with Matt Weeders. I'm not going to really be aggressive. I'm not really that aggressive in two-catcher leagues. I do like to get, like, a... Uh, Yasmani Grandal or a Salvador Perez, guys that I know are going to get the bulk share, have over, you know, have 20 or more home run potential. Um, well, you know, I think uh, that that potential is there uh, for, for weeders for sure. And, you know, the thing is that in the, in the catcher pool, once you really get beyond the top three, I think it's, there's a lot of sort of interchangeability and, and players that have sort of a, 
a similar uh, profile, I think, to Weeders. So, you yeah, know, I think I, I think they're. If I was going to pay up for a catcher, it would be like Jonathan Lucroy. I think he right now, he I think he might have just slightly surpassed Buster Posey. Okay, Matt, I'm sorry. What, what what was that about Buster Posey? I didn't quite catch that last part. I'm sorry. I think, uh, John, if I was going to pay up for a catcher, it would be Jonathan Lucroy this year. I think he slightly surpasses Buster Posey with the lineup and the, and the park in Texas. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, we've got some more news to cover, but uh, we're going to hit break right now. When we come back, uh, we will talk about Zach Britton and uh, the Reds rotation and a few other items. So uh, stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. I'm joined today by CTM Baseball's Matt Modica. And Matt, um, where else can uh, we find your work? I know you've done some writing for uh, so-called uh, fancy experts. Can we find your work there, or, or where else can we find you? Oh, uh, yes, I've been over there. And currently, I have a couple of options that might be possible in the next month. Until then, I can't really say. All right. Can we at least uh, look for that maybe on Twitter uh, somewhere? That we're oh, yeah. I'll, I'll be tweeting out. And for now, I mean, just check out CTM Baseball. I'll be dropping the starting pitcher index first week of March. So that's coming up very soon. I'm very excited about that. Uh, as as are we. And we're going to uh, talk about some of the pitchers in your pitcher index in just a little while. But we do have a few news items that we didn't uh, get to in the first segment. Uh, Zach Britton uh, decision was made to hold him out of an inter-squad game because of an oblique issue. Uh, any downgrade there for Britton, or uh, you're just going to forge ahead with how you've been valuing him? I'm going to forge ahead for now until I hear something more concrete. The, the little blurbs I've seen, everything sounds like, you know, he, he sounds like it's not an issue. It's the first week of spring training. You know, maybe it's just the adjustment of starting to pitch again and everything. So I'm I'm forging ahead for now. Okay, and where do you value him? Because uh, you know, obviously, he really uh, established himself last year as an elite, and yet there, there's elite and there's elite because Kenley Jansen, I think, is a consensus uh, pick for uh, the best, or, or certainly one of the best uh, relievers in fantasy. And Aroldis Chapman's always in that discussion. I think Wade Davis probably still even after some health issues last year. Do you put Zach Britton in with uh, those relievers, or do you see him as maybe being a notch or half notch below? I'm going to have Zach Britton in my top three. It'll be Jansen's and either uh, Chapman and Britton. Wade Davis, due to the health issue, i got to slide him out of that tier. Until yeah, I see consistent consistency. Yeah, I'll I'll put him second, and uh, you know I was a, a guest on a, a show called The Nasty Cast last night with uh, Nate Dockin. Really, really good show, and uh, we were talking about this Britain issue, and sort of the consensus there was that he was was not quite on the Chapman Jansen level because of strikeouts, but I just think that Britain does so much uh, in, in not only missing a lot of bats, it doesn't necessarily show up in crazy strikeout numbers, you know, one and a half per inning, but a very high whiff rate that potentially could translate into those numbers. Good control. And of course, uh, a strikeout rate, like pretty much nobody else in baseball. 
So uh, you put those things together and, and an Oriole team that I think is going to give them a lot of save opportunities. And I, I think you could argue number one, I'll, I'll go number two. And, and you're saying he's, he's in your top three. And I totally am on board with all that. Uh, another thing uh, that uh, came out on Twitter, initially reported by John Fay, and then uh, also reported by MLB.com, that the Reds have announced the first two starters for their uh, spring schedule, their Cactus League uh, schedule. It's a couple of rookies, literally a rookie, rookie Davis, getting the first start of the spring, and then followed up with the uh, lefty prospect Amir Garrett. And it's it's a pretty interesting situation there in Cincinnati because you've got Anthony Desclafani, who I think is the pretty clear number one. You've got uh, Scott Feldman being uh, brought in, and uh, and then I would say uh, you know beyond that, Brandon Finnegan certainly uh, would have a spot. And I think it's really it's wide open. So is there anybody to fill those fourth and fifth spots that really uh, has your attention, even in deeper leagues this year? As far as the fourth or fifth spots, Robert Stevenson is a guy that I've taken in like deep drafted holds, like in the 40th round. He's someone that I'm going to monitor. He should have the first uh, shot as far as uh, the back of the rotation goes. I know they have Adelman that they're talking about. I mean, last year everybody was hyped up on Cody Reed. That went south. Maybe he can find some stuff again. But the Reds rotation after Dave Scalfani, Finnegan to me is like a late round lottery pick. He has some potential. I'm not going to write him off, but he's still a work in progress. Uh, Scott Feldman, as far as I'm concerned, is just a placeholder. So it's really Dave Scalfani and Finnegan as a late round lottery pick. Stevenson's a guy on, the, on your watch list. Yeah, and well, and that's a good point to make about Feldman too, because there, there are so many young pitchers that you you know you've mentioned all of them pretty much that have a, a shot there, and Feldman could I think very easily slide into a long relief role if they wanted to bring up uh, you know a Cody Reed or um, uh, you know a rookie Davis or somebody uh, like that. Uh, you know, even going a little bit deeper, there's uh, Jose. Uh, I was going to say, I always get uh, confused because there's the, the former second baseman, but uh, Luis Castillo, so now I'm sorry, not Jose Castillo, uh, the, the pitching prospect uh, who's, who's mm-hmm. around, and Lizalberto Bonilla, also part of that mix as well. So, uh, all right, a few more really lower key uh, just injury updates. Josh Bell is uh, reportedly ahead of schedule coming back from a knee injury. So that's good news for him and for his chances of being ready opening day. Todd Frazier has uh, an oblique strain. Uh, He's going to be shut down, and that sounds like a preventive measure for Todd Frazier. And Will Smith has elbow inflammation and has been uh, shut down. So uh, those are all some situations to watch, but nothing that looks uh, too alarming at this point. So um, with that said, let's uh, go to the CTM pitcher index. And again, we talked about that in an earlier segment and uh, you've got a nice little abstract for pretty much anybody who's uh, slotted into being a a starting pitcher with some nice uh, statistical breakdown. And I've got a group of uh, five starters. I'm just sort of interested to see what you uh, think about these pitchers in terms of their value for the coming year and what might be a unique thing about each one that we should pay attention to in terms of a split that might make them 
better or worse to use in given weeks or, or something that lets lets us know that maybe they're on an upward trajectory. Just some little nugget. And uh, start off with Kenta Maeda about to enter his second year at the Dodgers. Well, Kenta Maeda last year had a phenomenal rookie year. The last couple of starts he had, I believe it was like even the last start, really had his ERA and whip jump. But he pitched to a 25% K rate, which was, you know, that, that's damn good. Uh, 7% walk rate. His first pitch strike was above 60%. Swing percentage was over 11%. I mean, if you just look at those four indicators right there, that's telling you that he's a good pitcher, in my opinion. Uh, where he's going, currently in a 12-team uh, league, say eighth, ninth round, I think that's incredible value. He's somebody that I would be happy to have as a second, love as my third. Yeah, Hello? Yeah, I'm sorry, Matt. I, I, I think I may have lost you for just one second there. So you were saying you, you certainly like uh, Maeda as the second or uh, certainly as especially as a third. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I've got him ranked as a, as a number two starter. So uh, yeah, if I could get him as a number three starter, I think that's incredible value. Yeah, I, I think what he showed last year, he pitches at uh, Chavez Ravine, so National League West. Except for maybe the core starts, I'm pretty much going to be rolling them out there every time. Now, here's my concern with Maeda, and you mentioned the ERA inflating at the at the very end of the season. So overall for the second half, a 4.25 ERA. And, and again, maybe that's a bit skewed by just a handful of starts. Uh, but over the course of the second half, he made 14 starts. Two of them went exactly six innings. Two more went six and a third no starts greater than six and the third innings for Maeda. So very inefficient, barely more than five innings per start on average. Is that something that concerns you for drafting somebody, let's say even as a, even if he falls to you as a number three, to potentially have somebody who may not be able to go six innings on a regular basis? Does that at all concern you? That's somewhat concerning. I think it's more of his first year in the major leagues coming from Japan where it's usually every sixth day or like once a week to now pitching every fifth day that I think took its toll as the year went on. So I, I would look for him to improve on that. I, I haven't projected at about 175 innings, 180 innings again. So I think in the grand scheme of things, he's, he's going to be a, and for his price, he's, he's a nice pitcher to target. Yeah, well, and I, I do agree after expressing those concerns. I put him in a similar sort of batch with Rich Hill where I'm not totally confident in the innings, but I think that the, if, the, if the quantity isn't there, the quality certainly will be, and that's enough for me. Uh, well, let's move on here to Jamison Tyone, also uh, going into his second year, his first full year in the majors. What do you see for him in 2017? What The things I like most about Jamison Tyon is last year he pitched 165 innings between AAA and MLB. So there's really no innings cap for him this year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Also, his command and control for a young pitcher, that's something that they usually struggle with. Uh, he, showed, he exhibited that. So that's very promising. He has two top pitchers. That curveball is crazy good. If he develops that third pitch, I think he could take that next step. In the AP article I recently wrote, 
I put him at 29th overall in starting pitchers. I know that's a bit aggressive. I love the park. I love the league. So that's why I, that's why he's that hard for me. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I don't uh, think I've got him ranked quite that high, but uh, I know that I'm a little bit higher on him than, than a lot of other people in the industry too, for, for the very reasons that you're citing. Now we go from somebody who's going to probably make his, uh, his uh, money for us <laughs> or a value for us uh, on control to Lance McCullers, uh, whose one worry for us is how often he's going to be able to throw strikes. Lance McCullers is one of the toughest pitchers to rank. First of all, just on health alone, as you mentioned, his control issues, the strikeout possibilities are phenomenal. I looked at Steamer, and they're really aggressive with Lance McCullers. I don't see how he's throwing 180-plus innings this year. I have him more in the 150s, and I think that's a bit aggressive. But if he can get to that rate, if he can get to that range, with his strikeout rate, uh, he's, he is a talented, talented pitcher. So he's a guy that I'm, he's a guy that I'm only going to target when the front of my rotation has a solid foundation. But he's, he's somebody you cannot ignore, just based on upside alone. All right, so when you say you're going to target him if you've got a solid front of the rotation, does that mean uh, you're going to draft him as a number four starter or you're going to avoid him entirely if maybe you came in late on your number one starter? Uh, how, like, what, what is the scenario where you, where you do draft him and, and the scenario where you pass him up? The scenario I do draft him is if, uh, say I have, um, say I went, I went early with pitching, say I had a Madison Bumgarner and a Kyle Hendricks, I will definitely feel more secure to take a chance on a Lance McCullers as my number three. If I waited on pitching, he's going to be my number four. Otherwise, I'm going to pass. Gotcha. Okay, that, I think that's a pretty sound strategy there. A ton of upside for McCullers, so uh, I like that a lot. And John Gray, again, another one with high upside, but risk just inherent in being a Rockies pitcher. But in the uh, CTM... Uh, in the uh, rather your uh, your CTM pitcher index, you made an interesting comparison between Gray and Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, how do you see those two? Uh, and of course, it's we're talking about the version of Ubaldo Jimenez when he was a Rocky. And so, what kind of of baseline does that set for Gray? What kind of expectations should we have for John Gray? Well, I was trying to accentuate how well he pitched at home last season, and I used Ubaldo's one great season he had when he was with the Rockies. And Gray, if you, ha- if you have to look past his ERA, the ERA, when you first see it, was over four. It's, it's going to make you back off. You look at everything else. You look at his fifth was just above three. The strikeout percentage was 27%. I believe the ground ball rate was like 43 or more. So, I mean, he had all these, I mean, in, in, a, in the most difficult park to pitch in, he's a young pitcher, one of the things I heard, I believe it might have been Jim Bowden even say, was he, his road splits wasn't that great, and he attributed that to being a young pitcher, first time on the road, and he expected for his, for his sophomore season to be much better on the road. So if he improves on the road, and I think the talent that he owns, granted, course, is always you know, scary, no matter what. I have high hopes for, for John Gray. 
Yeah, well, and, and I do too. And I had some initial skepticism about Gray being able to do well enough at Coors Field. But those splits that you mentioned and that Jim Bowden mentioned, really interesting because at home, uh, I've got the splits up here in front of me. Gray averaged 10.1K per nine at home, 1.9 walks per nine at home, and less than uh, and less than a home run per nine at home. And a slightly uh, lower strikeout rate uh, on the road, uh, a virtually identical home run rate on the road. It was the walks. So that narrative that you get from Bowden, it really makes a lot of sense because from a skills perspective, John Gray just wasn't as good of a pitcher on the road. He did not have good control, but of course he had spotless control. And when you look at the overall package of close to 10 strikeouts per nine, three walks per nine, and less than a home run per nine, even with the, the Coors Field uh, uh, home park situation, uh, I, you know, I think that worst case scenario is that John Gray is a upper threes ERA pitcher. Worst case. I, I totally agree with that. An upside, possibly 350 with 200 innings and 200 strikeouts. So. That that seems totally reasonable. If he had just stranded uh, more runners, he had a very low rate of sixty six percent, very low. Mm-hmm. Uh, no reason to think that he can't raise that and improve uh, improve his ERA dramatically this year. So, uh, yeah, Gray could be a little bit underrated actually. And then Stephen Matz, what do you see for him uh, now that uh, he appears to be back at full health? Well, that's the question. As you say, appears to be back at full health. Uh, from what I watched last season, totally loved the skill set. That first start he had, he was on like a 10-day layoff. The Marlins crushed him. But after that, he did very, very well. The problem is, if you go back in his career in every level, he just never is healthy. He's a guy that I've taken. He's been like a 13th-round pick in 15 teams. A guy that I've targeted, willing to take a chance on. But also, realistically... Can he get you 160, 170 innings? That's a question mark. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question mark uh, because I think uh, Matt certainly, when healthy, pitched uh, well enough for us to have confidence in him uh, going going into the season. Well, Matt, we're going to hang out in the NL East. We're going to go for a break when we come back. We're going to go a little bit in depth on the Braves roster and what they can do for you in fantasy this year. So stick around. We'll be right back. You have arrived at FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and my guest today is Matt Modica from CTM Baseball. And we've been talking a lot about pitchers. We're going to be talking about some more pitchers uh, because we're going to break down the Braves roster. And uh, at least for me, that's really one of the more interesting parts of that roster from a fantasy perspective. But some, uh, you know, some impactful hitters, too, I think, potentially. Now, one that I think a lot of people are going to have to think uh, hard about how they value him going into the season is Matt Kemp. I want to save him for a little bit later in the show because he's a good fit for, for a segment we're going to do a little bit later on. But uh, Freddie Freeman, obviously the marquee name there, he's been going early so far in drafts and understand understandably so after a great breakout season in 2016. Are you buying the breakout Matt Modica? I do buy the Freddie Freeman breakout. Uh, 27-year-old hitter. 
40% fly balls, 43% hard hit rate. I know his strikeout percentage increased a little last year, but you know, starting to sell out for a little more power, in my opinion. I think he's pretty much on the same baseline as, say, a Joey Votto minus, you know, 20 points of batting average or so. So, I mean, where Votto's going to have him on average, I think Freeman can eclipse him on maybe a couple more home runs and some, uh, you know, more runs uh, scored and RBIs. I do like the Braves top of the order. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry this year like a lot of people did last year about Freeman being a run producer. I had felt like that was maybe a little overblown, and it, it certainly turned out to be. And, of course, now we've seen with the Braves' offense being much higher powered in the second half last year. That's not something I'm hearing anybody talk about this year. So I certainly do buy into that part of Freeman's production, and, and I like him too. He's a bit below the top five at first base for me. You mentioned Vado. I'd much rather have Vado. But if I can't, uh, Freeman is an awfully good consolation prize for mm-hmm. me, so I- I'd be happy with that. Um, and also, uh, yeah. Al, also you mentioned the Matt Kemp. I, I know we'll save him for later. But just a quick thing, the, the Matt Kemp effect, if you look at what happened to Will Myers after Matt Kemp left, and if you take a look at what Freddie Freeman did when Matt Kemp arrived, it's pretty amazing how one guy fell off the face of the earth and the other guy just totally took off. Well, and I think how much that you you know, buy into that really ha- will have something to say about how much you like Will Myers this year and maybe how much you like Freddie Freeman this year. So mm-hmm. the, it certainly was a, a, a drastic change in, in both lineups, to be sure. Uh, now, whether or not Kemp will be as productive this year, we'll talk about that in a little while. So um, if we talk about an effect and, and the Braves lineup improving, I, I do think Dansby Swanson was also a part of that as well, not to the same degree but had a very nice uh, truncated rookie season. Do you think that he can repeat that with a, a 300-ish average and some moderate power, or do you think that that was just more of a small sample artifact? I believe Dansby Swanson will be a very good player down the road. I think he could be a good player in 2017. I'm not buying him as a 300 hitter yet. And as you were saying, maybe Doug, maybe double-digit home runs, double-digit stolen bases right around that range, you know, 10 or so each. I personally would rather draft his teammate going 100 picks later in Brandon Phillips, who's batted 290 the last two years, stolen, uh, hit, hit at least 10 homers, and stolen at least 10 bases. And I think he deepens that lineup too. I think that was a very good acquisition for the uh, Braves. And I like that call from a fantasy perspective because – we're talking about Dansby Swanson because uh, former number one pick and uh, a very good rookie performance comes with a lot of prospect hype. And Brandon Phillips, we've all sort of fatigued of him, you know, but but pretty <laughs> consistent production. So some someone who could be overlooked, and I think you're right, that he'll become, I think, a much greater value. So I, I like that call a lot. Now, should we care at all about the Braves catcher situation? Got Tyler, Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki two players that have really been off the mixed league radar for, uh, for, for all intents and purposes. But I think both had some pretty interesting seasons last year in a, in a two catcher league, any interest in either one. In a two catcher league, if I just totally punted the position and I had to take a shot, maybe I'll go on Tyler flowers upside. You know, maybe he can hit 15 home runs for you this year. If he gets the, uh, 
if he has the lion's share of the at-bats. Suzuki, you basically get a home peak and hit 280 and hit a handful of home runs. So well, it's funny that you, I don't, I don't know if you pulled that number uh, just out of the air or, or if there was a reason for it, but Suzuki last year, May 31st, he started hitting regularly with an axe-handled bat and his production mushroomed. He hit 280 and he's not typically been a 280 hitter, seven home runs, 21 doubles and 267 plate appearances from that point on. So over a full season, that's roughly, you know, double it up, 14 home runs, 42 doubles, which is pretty crazy. Um, so I would watch the situation this spring because I think whoever does, uh, if there's a hint as to who might emerge with more playing time, I think they could be a pretty nice value as a number two catcher. And, and just to make a case for Flowers, a 43.8% hard contact rate last year, which is outrageously high. And a 13.1% barrel rate on uh, batted ball events, which is also outrageously high. So some real legitimate power there from Tyler Flowers. Yes, I, I, I agree on that. He has, he has some upside there. Yeah. Like now, if we could flip this around, because I talked at the beginning of the uh, segment about the Braves pitching. And, of course, Flowers and or Suzuki could have something to say about that. Flowers last year rated out as one of the better um, pitch framers Suzuki uh, in the lower part of those rankings. So depending on who comes out with more playing time could also perhaps impact uh, the performance of pitchers. Is that something that you are concerned about at all? That's the other reason why I'm kind of hoping flowers gets the uh, nod. Uh, White Sox took a hit last year. I believe Carlos Rondon had the most uh, pitches that were strikes called balls. So that's a big, you know, that's something that we, we can't not look at or not have some kind of idea of. So Flowers being the better framer, whatever you want to say, is why I would hope he gets the nod, especially with their number five guy, Mike Fulton Evans. Yeah, good point there. Uh, and neither one, by the way, has been very effective in terms of curtailing the running game. So if you've got speedsters on your roster, that's something to look out for if they're, uh, they've got the Braves on the schedule. Whoever's behind the plate, there's probably some good stolen base potential there for uh, your, your speed sources. Uh, but let's, let's just go wholeheartedly into pitching now. Start at the top, Julio Tehran, who's uh, being drafted uh, pretty much as a, a number three starter. Now, I did a Twitter poll earlier today and grouped them together with some pitchers who are not only going in a similar spot in, uh, in drafts, but also have very nearly identical ratios from last year in terms of uh, strikeout, walk, and, and ground ball. Rick Porcello, Jose Quintana, uh, Masahiro Tanaka, and then Tehran himself. And we're 326 votes into this poll right now, and Tehran is a distant third behind Quintana and Tanaka. Not even particularly close. He's got 18% of the vote, Quintana 40%, Tanaka 29 in terms of which one you would target first, and, and just a little bit ahead of Rick Borsello. Uh, how do you view Tehran as a, as a part of that cohort, and particularly on the, the fact that he really does rely a lot on a, on a low BABIP rate for, uh, for some of his success? I would have. I, I actually did the poll myself as well. I chose Masahiro Tanaka without even a thought. I mean, it was like that. I think Tanaka's a top twenty pitcher. I don't think any of the other three are top twenty pitchers. 
I think the other three are all pretty close. I would give maybe Julio Teran the edge, being that he's in the National League, pitching in the National League East. And he's a guy that's going to give you 180 innings to 200 innings. I don't think he's going to have a 320 ERA like he had last year. I think it's going to be above 350, more in, say, the 360 to 380 range. But if he's your number three, he's giving you, say, 190, 200 innings, that's huge. You're getting, say, 170 strikeouts from him or 167 or something like that. It's all about how you're building your your rotation. So as much as he's not a guy that anybody's going to get excited about to own Julio Tehran, he's a guy that can really help your rotation. And so if you took a Tehran, you could take a chance on your next pitcher. Yeah, I, I like that approach very much. And I tell you what, in – my draft so far, I've been guilty of the very thing that you just said, which is that I've been looking at my queue and seeing Tehran there and seeing two or three other pitchers. Uh, Aaron Nola is one who comes to mind, uh, who I like a lot for the upside, but obviously a lot of risk based on what we saw from him last year uh, after a great start. And I passed on Tehran. And again, there's it's that thing in the back of my mind of, well, I know that he's just got kind of slightly better than average ratios across the board, but he is consistently somebody who is, has been better than average on preventing hits on balls and play just by, by virtue of the fact that he's a fly ball pitcher. And I don't really see that changing. He is who he is. And I think you can count on that. And I think you can count on, on some steadiness uh, from, from him. And yeah, you could, you know, take him. Don't, don't let him slide by, you know, make sure that you do pick him up uh, when you're filling in your third pitcher slot. And those upside guys, maybe not the particular ones you want, but there'll be plenty of upside pitchers to take the next time around. So I, well, I, I'll add one more thing, as you said, about with, like his BABIP and stuff. Yeah. I think sometimes people look at the league average BABIPs as opposed to with veteran pitchers. You really start need to look at, at the career BABIP. Like he's a 275 career BABIP guy. He's not a 300 batter guy. Like you said, he's going to allow the fly balls. He has control. So even if it goes up a little, like I said, I don't foresee him as a sub-350 pitcher this year, but I think he's still valuable as a 375. I mean, the league average last year was 434 for starting pitchers. So that's still very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned Mike Fultonevich earlier. Of uh, he, he appears to be the front runner for the fifth spot. Then you've got the a- acquisitions: Bartolo Colon, Ari Dickey, Jaime Garcia. Do you like Fulte better than any or all of them? Fulte's the guy that I like for the upside out of that group. The best part of them adding Colon, Dickey, and Garcia is unlike last year, where the Braves had to put in, say, an Aaron Blair or a John Gant, they were putting in these minor league pitchers that maybe weren't ready for prime time yet. And that was affecting everything in their their rotation, their bullpen. So what they were able to put together, I kind of like this year. I think the Braves are getting very underrated this year. I mean, I don't think any of those three I just mentioned are fantastic arms, but they're going to give you the innings. They're going to give you – they will make them – a competitive team, put it that way. And Fulton Everett is the one guy I will target, albeit he's somebody you target late. He's somebody that has that upside. And he throws, what, mid-90s fastball? 
So, so yeah, yeah. Here's somebody that I would love. So a lot of upside to like there with Fultonevich. Well, we haven't talked about Matt Kemp, but we will after the break and some other intriguing outfielders as well. So stick around. Welcome back, everybody, to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and helping me to bring this show home is Matt Modica from CTM Baseball. And uh, we have a segment now that I call What Happened with These Guys? And strangely enough, what we do here is we look at a handful of players who had some sort of surprising performance last year, maybe a little hard to explain, and we try to figure out what happened with these guys. It's that simple. So we're going to start with Matt Kemp, who we discussed a little bit in the last segment. And I think this is an important one because not only does trying to figure out what happened last year with Matt Kemp help us to better value him for this year, but how he does could really influence the value of the other players in the Braves lineup. Because Matt, as you mentioned, when Kemp came on board last year, uh, midseason with the Braves, it hit really well after that trade from the Padres. It really helped lift uh, a lot of players in that lineup. So uh, again, some important consequences fantasy-wise here. What do you think happened with Matt Kemp last year going from 23 home runs to 35? The fly ball trend is going up, which is a very good sign. He's always kind of hit the ball hard. It kind of dipped a little last year, but still 35% is solid. And like you said, having having the three guys in front of him in an Ender and Tiarte, who I think is an underrated player, a Dansby Swanson, an up-and-coming guy, and I think Freddie Freeman, a rock. Uh, Matt Kemp may no, may no longer be a sexy, but I think he's going to be a producer. I think he's, you know, mid-20s home runs, uh, 90 to 100 RBIs, say a 270 batting average or so. Well, I don't know if I can make anything of this at all. I mean, I, I generally don't like it when people talk about this player's a, a good starter, a good finisher. He's a, a second-half guy. Uh, I tend to think those things all come out in the wash. But this is just too weird to ignore. Last five Mays for Matt Kemp, if it seems like he has a May, May swoon every year, it's because he does. <laughs> His isolated <laughs> power, uh, going back the last five seasons, 108, 084. 096, 027. And then last year when he was still with the Padres, 186, which is closer to what you would expect from a full year of Matt Kemp. Maybe even just a, it would be a little bit higher for the year, uh, year round stat. But I think part of what happened with Kemp last year is that while he did not have a good May overall and didn't hit for average, the power pretty much was sustained all year long for Matt Kemp. So I think that played a little bit of a role in the surge in home runs. But what that says for the season, I honestly have no idea. Well, what I, I think the one thing we can look forward to is if you look at the second half post-All-Star break, the Braves were like sixth in runs scored. They were only one behind the Cubs and five behind the uh, Dodgers. So that's something that's promising if you want to look for something on a positive note. Yeah, and I yeah, Kemp will have some support in that lineup for sure. Um, but the, the May thing is just weird for him, and hopefully he avoids it this year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, let's stay in the NL East. Uh, Marcel Ozuna, uh, also a, a puzzling player, 
two years ago got demoted midseason when uh, nobody really saw that coming, but there were issues with uh, Marlins management uh, that he, he wasn't really getting along. And, and then last year didn't get sent down, but uh, had a fantastic first half. And as good as the first half was, the second half was pretty miserable. So which Marcelo Zuna are you expecting to show up this year? Honestly, Marcelo Zuna is a very, very frustrating player. I thought he was going to make a turn, say, last season. I think it's still possible he could hit over 30 home runs. I'm just kind of worried that the Marlins are getting to a point where they're a little frustrated. Uh, He's a better version of what Puig has been, but I think he's there. He's the Marlins version of, like, Puig. He just frustrates them, and it, it hasn't. I mean, it could, but it hasn't all come together. Well, the one thing I will say in Ozuna's defense is that we've seen really great production from him a lot more recently than we've seen it from Asiel Puig. So I don't view him as quite yes. risky, but I get the parallel in terms of just the really big uh, differentiation between his highs and lows, and that is is frustrating. Uh, so in terms of what happened with him last year, I wish I knew. I wish I had a, a good answer. Uh, I, I think it's it's probably just randomness, but that's a hard narrative to buy when you see such big differences and there's a temptation to say, well, you know, maybe he tired out, maybe he rested on his laurels, but, but I honestly don't know and just have to figure he's going to give us the happy medium. Uh, now there's an interesting piece on fan rag sports today from John Parado about Byron Buxton. I wanted to talk about Byron Buxton even before I saw this piece, but John Parado is going to answer the question. What happened with this guy? <laughs> because he did a story on how Buxton, was very concerned about his media coverage. And then when he uh, came back up with the twins in September, he just stopped worrying about it and worrying about what people were writing about him and saying about him. And of course had a really nice month where he still struck out a lot, but we saw a lot of power from Buxton and it. It seemed like maybe he had turned the corner. Uh, What do you think, Matt? Uh, What do you think happened with Buxton last year? I think it's a lot what you're saying, young kid, the number one prospect, all that pressure, reading some press clippings and stuff. But as you did say, in September, he hit like nine home runs. I tweeted out the home runs that he hit off of opposing pitches versus the home runs that Trey Turner hit off of opposing pitches. And Byron Buxton's list was a lot more impressive. Trey Turner's was more like a bad AAA team. Yeah, I I think I've actually read the Turner list on this show, so I I know where you're coming from with that. I I actually, is he going to be, is the average going to be there? I'm not sure about that just yet. But the one thing we haven't seen from him is the speed, and the speed is real. So if he comes in a more confident kid, he got a boost from September, the price is a little steep, but he's somebody, I'm not going to own a ton of shares, but I, don't, I do want to own a couple of shares of Byron Buxton. I do not want to be shut out of him in 2017. Yeah, I think I mean, that makes sense. is the lock if he, if he gets on base. Yeah, yeah, that's a big if. Well, let's wind this up with somebody who's typically going later than Buxton. Uh, I think could be better. Jason Hayward, of course, we all know, just a miserable 2016. What, what happened there? Uh, that, uh, that is just something that to me is unexplainable. I, I was never a huge Jason Hayward guy. The defense, yes, is, is awesome. 
But I figured just on, like, his running game alone would always be something that would keep him as an earner. He can't be as bad as he was last year. Nobody wants him this year. So he's a guy that I will take a flyer on at the end. Nobody wants him. You can have him. He's on a great team, and he can't be that bad. That's, That's my logic with Justin Hayward this year. Yeah, he's a hard one to figure out because it's you can't really tell what the outlier is because he's now had two seasons out of three where he's not really hit with very much authority. I thought coming from the Cardinals to the Cubs, he hit so many ground balls at the Cardinals. I just thought he's going to have some positive regression with the fly ball rate uh, and had to show a lot more power with the Cubs. He went the opposite way. So Hayward's really a confounding player. But I do think that that upside is still there. So, Matt, thank you so much for coming out today. we got to wind this up. But uh, again, just to remind everybody to check out uh, CTM Baseball. Uh, it's uh, Matt's site, and he's uh, got some great analysis there. Pitcher Index. You can also find him on Twitter at CTM Baseball. Uh, and, and again, check check his Twitter account to see uh, because Matt, you said you're going to be showing up in some places we don't know about yet. So we'll we'll be on the lookout for that. Al, thanks a lot for having me today, and have yourself a good one. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. So uh, with that, uh, we will be back on Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. So please check on uh, check in with us then. We'll have some actual games to talk about and uh, looking forward to that. So have a great day, everybody. See you soon.